0: Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the We Broadcast Beer podcast. This is our penultimate episode of the season and the last of 2016. Thank you very much for joining me today. My name's James Hickson, and on today's episode, we're featuring a recording of our recent Meet the Brewer with Brew By Numbers, who are based in Bermondsey in southeast London. We were joined by Chris and Dave from the brewery, um, who talked us through five of their stunning beers. More on that in just a moment. Uh, But before we launch into the recording, just wanted to say thanks to everyone who's listened and downloaded this season so far. It's been incredible getting the podcast out there, been a real kind of fun experience, recording the events that we're already doing and getting them out to more and more people Uh, so thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for downloading as ever we can ask you to share with anyone you think might be interested in what we're doing Um, and if you are looking for upcoming events just head to our website webroughtbeer.co.uk forward slash events we are just lining up our event schedule for 2017 um, so more stuff will be going on there in due course but back to today's main featured recording with Brew by Numbers and we start with Chris Hall giving us a bit of an intro to the evening.
1: Hi everybody. Hello. Thank you for coming down tonight. Uh, we are Brew by Numbers, we're delighted to have you here uh, to try five of our latest beers. Uh, thank you to We Brought Beer for hosting us. Um, we did a uh, Meet the, the Brewer and Tasting event uh, last year at the Balham store uh, which was in late summer and had about 50 people packed into the cosy environs of the Balm Store. Uh, So it's nice uh, and really great to see a dedicated tasting room environment in a bottle shop uh, like this. And it's obviously a great space to talk through some nice beers. So um, I'm briefly going to pass you over to Dave, who's going to tell you a little bit about how the brewery started. And while he's telling you that, you're going to get your first beer and then I'll talk you through it.
2: Thank
3: you, Chris. I met Tom, uh, the other co-founder, when we were travelling on a climbing trip to Asia, where she met in South China and spent some time together in uh, Thailand and Vietnam. Uh, and then uh, moved on to Australia. We were up in Northeast Australia in, uh, in Cairns and we went to our first brew pub and discovered it's the first time we'd really seen a range of beers of different colours and varieties and flavours all in one place. They all had some kind of flavour tying them together but they all they were all distinctly different. I mean, yeah, kind of sowed the seed for both of us to become interested in, in modern beer and uh, I carried on travelling through Australia visiting a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different breweries and uh, brew pubs trying to pick up as much knowledge as I could about beer before getting to New Zealand. and a friend and I built uh, bought a a simple homebrew kit and just brewed some beer using extracts and uh, we dry hopped one beer with a small tea bag of Sars. It was like very, very entry-level stuff, but it gave me the taste of, of, of brewing and not only the, the precision and joy of brewing the beer, but the joy of having beer to drink at the end of it. Um, while I was doing that, Tom came back to the UK, met up with his old friend Toby, who had just uh, got a job at the Kernel Brewery. Toby was bringing Tom the beers that they were making at the time, which, you know, as they are now, are really exciting, flavoursome beers that he just couldn't get on the market at the time. Uh, and that sowed the seed again for Tom to, uh, to look more deeply into beer and he was considering if he, you know, if he were to make these beers, how would he make them differently, how would he improve them. Uh, when I arrived back from New Zealand, uh, he and I met up again just to hang out and both shared our stories about coming into beer and decided that we'd make a brewery together. The uh, first thing we did was uh, use Tom's tax money to, to buy and build a homebrew kit. Uh, with the assumption that he'd get that money back in a few months to pay his tax. He uh, didn't get it through those means, but he didn't go to prison, thankfully, so that's okay. Um, and we just kept on pushing ourselves really hard, like uh, doing a lot, of, a lot of testing, a lot of tweaking, but also researching a lot online, using uh, forums online, We're also asking the guys at the Colonel and uh, Andy from Now Partisan, who was at Redemption at the time, uh, just asking them relentlessly what we should do, you know, the fermentation stops, how can we start it again, how can we get the best flavour from our dry hops. Putting all those things together and all that time experimenting and our constant drive to make the best beer we possibly could led us to the point 18 months later when we launched in uh, the Craft Beer Co. in uh, Clerkenwell. launched with six beers and um, I think we made a good mark at that point. One of them was the Citrus Saison 0101. Another one was a Brett H Saison, uh, it kind of was a statement, of it, uh, a statement of an intent, basically, what we wanted to do and go forward with. Uh, for the next six months, we were still selling beer from the basement, brewing about 70 litres a week and selling that to two or three different outlets around London, and so we moved into the Arch and Enid Street. Um, we had a few delays getting things up and running there, so it's six months into, uh, of brewing Run about 320 litres a week before we managed to finally get the 2,000 litre brew kit up and running, and we launched for real, you know, as a real commercial brewery in January 2014. Uh, and since then, we've just been pushing as hard as we can to improve the beer all the time, investing in new equipment, uh, bringing in new staff who really know their know their stuff, and uh, allow Tom and I to step back a little and think about the direction that we're going in next. Um, One of those people is the delightful Chris Hall here, who's our resident wordsmith. So I'll pass you over to him to uh, talk a little more about the beer that you've got in front of you.
1: So as Dave said, the brewery is really founded on uh, experimentation and a process of discovery, not just of what they could brew, but also what kind of uh, varieties and expressions of those beers they could create. So the first beer they're having tonight is not perhaps logically 0 101 Saison Citra, but actually a slightly lighter beer to begin with. Uh, that is style number 17, which is Table Saison. And this is recipe number six, uh, which denotes that it is hopped with Sriracha Ace uh, and also uses lemon zest and juice. Um, table Saison uh, is a lighter version of the Saison style. Uh, the yeast, the house yeast strain that we use produces a Saison lighter, probably drier, than some of the more uh, rich, spicy, and stickier uh, Belgian Saisons you may have had. Um, it's also a use which interacts wonderfully with other flavors and other ingredients. Um, I like to think that because it has like a kind of French origin, it thinks it can do anything with flavor, it thinks it's got a Michelin star, it can like do anything. Um, and it, it does seem to be able to genuinely be able to do anything. Um, In this case, we've decided to match up Sirachi Ace, uh, a hop originally pioneered and developed in Japan. It's been grown in other places around the world, but is famously uh, sticky and resinous, has bubblegum-like lemony flavors, but also can be slightly herbal, uh, can have aniseed-like qualities, sometimes giving a bit of coconut. It's quite a strong personality uh, as hops go. Um, luckily, our yeast is just a stronger personality and can kind of temper it. Uh, we use lemon juice and zest to pronounce, sort of overpronounce the fruit characteristics. Um, but this is a 3.5% beer. And so whilst it has a lot of this kind of stuff going on, it's up to the yeast to find the balance. And in a beer with this light and alcohol, make sure that nothing is too overpowering. Uh, it's designed to be a simple, refreshing beer. This is the kind of style that ultimately Predated lager as the ordinary drink of working people in the part of the world where it came from, uh, in the Low Country. Um, so I hope you enjoy it.
3: So, this beer is this a great example of um, where, we've, where we've come in the last few years. When, when Tom and I first started brewing, uh, our sort of desires were to take traditional English styles and give them a modern twist. Um, and then it was a while after, short while after that we went to Belgium for the Festival of the Spontaneous Fermentation, which is just, uh, the geekiest beer festival you can imagine. It's just a uh, shed in the middle of Belgium with lots of people just drinking the sourest beer. But we were there for five days again with uh, Toby from The Colonel and uh, Andy from Partizan. And the, we were tasting wit Beers, saisons, Doubles and all those fantastic Belgian styles and it just completely shifted our uh, our approach to brewing and our you know, desires of what we wanted to achieve. We started playing around with wild yeast and with those Belgian styles. And that's something that's remained at the heart of what we're doing since then. Um, and this is just kind of a refinement of all those things we've done. It's just taking away all the, the fat and just trimming it down to a very delicate, simple, easy drinking beer, but it still has layers and complexity to it. Um, it's, yeah, it's one of my favourite beers that we made in the recent recent past, for sure. Do you make saisons all year round? We do. Yeah. There's an and a they they drop off slightly in the winter time, certainly, and then spring summer it really picks up. But um, yeah, it's a good beer year round. And does it does it take ages to brew a saison? Does it stay in the barrel for a time? No, I mean saison is a very broad term. Uh, the Saison's we brew are not, kind of not befitting of that traditional meaning in many ways whatsoever. Um, so ours, it just goes through stainless steel. Uh, regular Saison's don't touch wood, they don't touch barrels. And um, from brew to drink, is in the region of six to eight weeks. So it's, it's a little slower than a dark beer or a hoppy beer, but it's not by no means sluggish or long. Um, whereas the traditional saisons, yeah, they would have been in, in barrels for a long time and going through mixed fermentations, and they'd be a lot more sour, a lot more funky than the modern saisons that most people drink at the moment, or the, the clean saisons, I should say.
1: So, uh, we're starting to get the next beer out to you. Um, this is a reflection of, as they were saying, kind of like where we're going now. Uh, Saison is for us style number one. Uh, however, this is recipe number 22. So 0122 is a Saison brewed with uh, hibiscus and lemon. So lemon juice and zest again. Um, not all of the beers are gonna have lemon juice and zest in them, it just, <laughs> just so happens that these first two do. Um, again, it kind of comes back to the yeast and what it likes to play with and the flavors that it enjoys using. Uh, but hibiscus, dried hibiscus flowers are also Highly prevalent in both the aroma, flavor, and you probably will have noticed the color compared to the first beer you had. Uh, typically our Saison and Table Saisons all have a broadly similar appearance. Very pale straw, mostly uh, bright, uh, almost transparent. Uh, this beer has picked up a lot of its color from the hibiscus flowers, and hopefully you'll have noticed uh, that beautiful floral nose blending in with the lemon character that you might have noticed in the first beer, uh, all kind of lassoed together and kept into check, again, by that yeast. Uh, This is uh, a Saison more in the region that we would typically brew them to, which is about five and a half percent. Uh, You'll find a lot of both traditional and modern Saisons maybe much higher, six and a half, seven percent or more. Uh, We generally brew ours to be about five and a half, uh, although occasionally we would do Recipe allowing will might bear off into slightly stronger territory if we feel it's worth exploring that way. The next saison, for example, we will release uh, 23. Uh, no, yeah, 23. 23? is out. 24 will be coming out. 24 is uh, a rise saison, which is much bigger in body and is actually about 7.2. 7, four, seven point yeah, four. 7.4%. Um, but typically, they're in this uh, sort of five and a half percent mark. We just like the idea that these are like. Uh, unusual beers but were once very usual and introducing them to people not as something odd or esoteric that demands like a big price tag and like putting on a pillar but reintroducing people to the styles that used to be normal and just giving them the careful treatment uh, that they require and that they deserve Uh, Lemon and Hibiscus is a really nice combination of flavours and again kind of demonstrates uh, our house yeast strain doing its work at keeping those flavors in balance uh, it's an especially nice example I think of this kind of thing that we've done typically we like to play with just hops and occasionally fruits but this is a good example of letting other ingredients do the talking letting the hops sit in the background uh, I hope you like it
3: yeah, it's, the kind of, it's the kind of beer that um, Tom and I played around with quite a lot in those early days when we started playing with Belgian beers and Belgian yeast is taking inspiration then from food thinking of what flavor combinations that are commonly used in food could then be translated very well into a beer. And uh, lemon is a, a brilliant one for that, certainly, and hibiscus. Although not food, it's a, you, know, you get a lot of uh, hibiscus teas, and that just translates really nicely into the saison. And saison in particular, the yeast and the, the tannins and the flavors from the flowers go particularly well together. Enjoy.
1: OK, so we're moving on to the next beer. Uh, which perhaps requires a different sort of explanation. Um, this, now you've tried a couple of the Belgian styles that we like to brew a lot of, uh, you're now going to try uh, a more recent style to us which seems a little strange for a brewery to be going a few years before it actually starts brewing a pale ale, um, especially if you consider that we've probably brewed about 160 different beers before we brewed our first pale ale. Um, but that's just the journey that we took. Um, we were fascinated, not just by Belgian styles, but other pale hobby styles, particularly Session IPA, uh, American style IPA and beyond. And um, I brewed so many different things that pale ale just simply wasn't on the radar for us. People became well, they knew us for doing other different hobby styles. Uh, eventually we decided that we could do one which was just as good as everything being made in London right now. and. As you probably all know, you can't release a subpar pale ale in London. Uh, there's simply too many great examples that have taken their influences from all over the world. Um, so what you're about to drink uh, in that spirit is uh, an American East Coast-influenced uh, pale ale, single hot, uh, with Martueco, which is from New Zealand. Um, and. As you'll note, compared to the first two beers you've had and probably compared to most of the other beers you might have from us, uh, this is noticeably hazier. And this beer is deliberately so. We started using uh, some other grains in addition to barley and occasionally a little bit of wheat. In our pale hoppy beers, we started using oats because uh, we love the texture and mouthfeel that you can get uh, from these beers uh, that use oats as well as hops. Uh, they complement each other quite nicely. But we found that sometimes we weren't always getting uh, the kind of oats mouthfeel that we wanted. And so we looked to reduce the amount of finings that we were using in the kettle and decided that actually if we didn't use any at all, what kind of texture and what kind of appearance and what kind of beer would we create? So we brewed a beer with a fairly large amount of oats, probably with about 25% of the grain I think it's, bill. Uh, somewhere in that region, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thereabouts, which is quite a lot. It's a sticky grain it creates a lot of proteins, and that's basically what you're looking at. Uh, In addition to the proteins from the oats, you're also looking at a hop haze. So the sheer huge amount of hops that we were adding into this beer, not just during the boil, but also in tank, uh, or being dry hopping onto active yeast. And when you're doing that, you're creating or encouraging further interactions between the hops themselves and the yeast, and they're gonna create Compounds which are interesting and create good flavours that we wanted to capture and keep. And if you do not find or filter your beer, you and you do these particular recipe design decisions and you take them and you follow them through, you're gonna result, as a result, you're gonna get a beer that looks hazier than before. Uh, there is nothing to do with yeast in the haze that you're looking at. That haze is a hop and protein haze. It's nothing to do with yeast or sediments. Um, but the yeast has had a part to play in it but it's not in your glass. If you did a cell count of this beer the yeast would be relatively low. Um, however if you wanted to talk about a yeasty beer the first two beers that you had which were pretty bright were probably arguably more yeasty than the hazy beer you have in front of you. Um, really all we're trying to do is take another step in the exploration of what pale ale and what beer generally can be. We're not trying to scare anybody or like try to like create something that deliberately uh, challenges people's preconceptions, but we would ask people to leave their preconceptions behind when they try this beer and judge it in its own context. Um, so what you have here is a heavily hopped beer brewed with oats, and it is quite delicious. Uh, we're a big fan of this particular hop. We've used it a lot in our Belgian styles before because we find it has a particular tang that interacts quite nicely with uh, our saison yeast. Um, But in this beer we found that Motueko just like absolutely explodes and instead of the faint oily limey character it has, the Belgian styles we do, you get quite sharp acidic almost orange juice like kind of uh, acidity from it. Um, And it's the most recent pale ale that we've released and are therefore also the freshest probably only two and a half weeks old. Yeah,
3: two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. Uh, When do you add the oats? During the mash. Right. Yeah. 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 So just uh, another mash ingredient. Um, touching on the finings again, Chris mentioned, we never add finings, never have added finings post fermentation in the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, desire to get a clear beer. Um, we have in the past and we still do in some beers add finings in the kettle. It's a, uh, it's an Irish moss, which is a kind of algae, which uh, binds to the proteins and the larger lumps and coagulates and drops to make a clearer beer, um, but as Chris said, we decided to drop that down for this beer to see what we had achieve. and the result is, yes, it's hazy, but it's just, it's more full, like you're literally drinking oils and proteins, and it gives the beer a mouthfeel that you don't get in a clear beer, it's not that there's anything better or worse with either one, they each have their own advantages and disadvantages, but this is a very exciting new development that's happening. One advantage of having two brewers from, uh, from North America is they know exactly what's happening over there. America is still many years ahead of the UK in their, in their modern beer scene. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be over in the States a couple of weeks ago for CBC in Boston, and they took me around to some of the breweries. We were drinking beers along these lines, and it was one of the most exciting, invigorating trips I've had in a while. It's like, it sort of reignited something in me about driving towards making very exciting, delicious beer. And um, I'm really proud and pleased that we've got a beer like this to show you, at this point, and show you where beer could and maybe should go in the next few years. hope you enjoy it. Is there any way of making this clear
2: and keeping the taste?
3: Um, You'd still keep the taste. You'd keep a different and slightly lower amount of taste, quite possibly. If you wait till fermentation finishes, drop the yeast out, and chill the beer down, drop the yeast, take that out, then add the hops, the hops will pass through the beer, they will leave oils and flavors behind. But it's the interaction between the yeast and the the hops that create the haze and the flavor and the body all together. Um, Like I say, it's not to say that you can't get those those things in a clear beer, but it's quite a different taste. If you taste the, the West Coast IPAs, they're hugely hoppy, hugely flavorsome, but they have a different mouthfeel Different body,
1: different texture to this, which you'll get a chance to try in the next beer that we have. So you can try these two kind of concurrently occurring kind of styles of American hoppy beer next to each other. This one you're going to try first. This one that you're having now is arguably more modern, but as they were saying, you know, it's it's not a case of better or worse. It's just different. It's one of the benefits of having a number system where we can go right the first two digits this is the style we're going to do and the second two digits is the recipe we're going to do if we decide that because new ingredients or new techniques or new kind of uh ideas about beer suddenly occur or exist or become available to us it means we can explore them without losing any of the work that we've done before it also means that we can return to the work that we've done before and do some of those early styles again if we want to it's not trying to complete sheet of paper that has every single number on it it's about kind of exploring what each style and what each recipe can achieve and being open and honest about what we did along the way Um, all of our bowls of our beers say exactly what we did in order to achieve that and you can see on our website basically every beer that we've ever released in each of those families and you can see why we did them Um, so now as the numbers start to increase certainly the beers that we're releasing now we feel are more or increasingly technically accomplished but it's not to say that we might not return to more bright appearance pale ales we might return to other kinds of styles of IPA that we've done before Uh, it's just all part of the journey and kind of sharing that journey with other people that's what's fun about it Do you find that there is um, obviously what you've been saying kind of
3: has been slightly about the appearance of this beer, Do you, have you found there's been a lot of, kind of reluctance to, to have a, a beer
1: that is cloudy, even though there are No other? It's, it's, been, it's been interesting to see actually, we we knew it was going to be hazy, yeah. and then when we were aware of just how hazy it was going to be, and my main concern was not its appearance but how different it appear- its appearance was the first two pale ales that we'd done. Yeah. And we knew we had customers who were big fans of what we were doing with Pale Ale, and they really wanted to get the next ones. And I thought it was in, both in our interests and in their interests, and just the interest of you know, just being an open and honest kind of business to tell people that we're going on a slightly different path right now, and this is what this beer is gonna look like. So I spoke to the brewers, we collaborated on a blog post that gave as much information as we could about why we'd taken these decisions and what the result of those decisions were and made that as available as we could. Uh, we put extra labels onto kegs and packages of bottles so they're retailers and distributors... With and the expectation yeah. that there would be people who would... it There would be expectation that people would put one next to the other in their fridge yeah. and see that they were noticeably different compared yeah. to the beers that we had. But the actual feedback, in terms of feedback that we've gotten, it's been quite unusual in that, uh, I would say, a, a fairly large proportion of people have linked the appearance to the flavor or the flavor to the appearance i've gone right this is why it looks like that because it tastes like this and it tastes like this because it looks like that but some people an equally large proportion haven't mentioned the appearance at all which i wasn't expecting i was expecting people to say oh right it tastes like this and it looks like that because there's an interaction there and that's that's what's going on i was expecting people to be like what the hell is this There's maybe been two or three, what the hell is this? But (laughs) um, my favorite review on Untabbed has been, looks like Gut cider, tastes like heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we won him over. We had uh, somebody who used to work for us recently opened a a pub down in Dorset and they took a keg of the beer before this one, Citroen, Amarillo, Mosaic, Pale Ale, which is just as hazy as this one. They took a keg of that and guy Dean was like I really want to I really want to put this beer on but I feel like it's going to be a bit challenge to sell this guy's down in Dorset who think they know what beer should look like and whilst they're open-minded appearance can be like a big turn-off for some people I know haze past a certain point could indicate a fault in brewing which it can and historically they were right to think that this is simply different techniques have different results um but he uh, then like told us the next week, he was like, yeah, the cake sold out in record time, but basically the people were looking at it and going, I'm not sure about that. And he was like, just try it. And by the time that got, beer got, not to drinking it, but to here, they could smell it. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, and then they smelled some more and then they tasted it. And then that, the battle was won. Yeah. Um, which is all you can ask for is to let the beer do the talking for us. Um, we simply tried to provide as much information as we could so that people would not misinterpret our intentions. What was the
2: pub in Dorset called?
1: It's called The Butcher's Dog. It's in uh, a place called Wimborne uh, and is awesome. You should go there. (laughs) It's worth the
3: journey.
2: What is your numbering? How does
1: it work? So, the first two numbers for this beer, 21, mean it's the 21st style that we brewed. And the second two numbers, in this case 04, mean it's the fourth recipe. And so when we refer to beers by their numbers, we're talking about the style and the recipe at the same time. It all started when Tom and Dave, as, as Dave mentioned earlier, were constantly trying to not just produce as many different kinds of beers as possible, but learn as quickly as possible about what they could create and how they could uh, kind of like get stuck into the hundreds of years of history of beer in a relatively short period of time. So the numbering system simply meant they were creating a single batch and then doing different things to it. They create some work, then they would hop it differently or use a different yeast or have some different kind of outcome for it. And they'd be buying one, two, three or four on these kind of batches. And then that kind of evolved into our approach to brewing, which is exploring. Uh, We don't pretend to know. We've returned to, we've returned to, definitely returned to recipes that we've done before. Uh, the next pale ale, for example, that we're brewing will be the one before this one again. Uh, the next saison that will be released will be O101 saison citra again. Uh, it's a style and recipe that we return to fairly frequently, not just because uh, we like being able to show people where we came from, but also because it's just a recipe that works really well and is a good introduction to what we do. Uh, but I would say, certainly now, at least four out, four times out of five, we're brewing something we haven't done before. Um, but we certainly do return to the recipes that we like the most we're not completely mercenary um, we do find attachment to the numbers <laughs> along the way
3: Are you up to 160 or i think so yeah i think it's more i think it's getting on for 180 i believe um we brewed something like 240 250 different batches mm-hmm. um on this current kit we did a few batches on the old kit but you can see what sort of proportion. Doing in terms of revisits to previous recipes by those numbers. I think the 0101 is probably the beer we've re the most times. It's, I don't know the exact number, maybe eight or ten times by now. Uh, but many beers we brewed once, and either we have learned something new and moved on from it, or we just haven't had a chance to go back to it, or the ingredients aren't available anymore. But it's, it's a very flexible system, it allows us, like I was saying, to explore to experiment. But we've always got that catalogue there, a uh, reference to come back to. So, so you, you, you guys have a
2: get more
3: of the hops anymore? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there are some hops that can't be contracted or um, there's just maybe only a few tons coming to the UK and they're normally snapped up by the bigger breweries. Not always, but sometimes. Um, and other ingredients, we might just have a friend who, you know, one of apples might fall off the back of the lorry. We use them in a batch, and then that's all good. But they might not be there next time around. Um, Sometimes just,
1: we get hops kind of by accident. That's <laughs> how so we found a couple of boxes of Nelson in the middle of pallet of hops that we we hadn't really asked for, well, but we weren't going to complain about it because it's an incredibly difficult <laughs> hop to yeah. get hold of. Time. Time. Yeah. yeah. But even
3: they come come up short. Yeah. yeah. Like they 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 want probably double what they get. Yeah. And it's the case all over. Like there's a very very finite amount of New Zealand hops mm-hmm. most of the hop growers there uh, as I understand it are family growers family businesses and they have their output they're happy with that they sell it all they pay they you know they get paid they can support their families why do they bother growing more why would they bother pushing it and you know all respect to them it's absolutely fine it's just uh, that's the nature of it that's just what we deal with but there are so many hot varieties, so many new varieties coming through, particularly uh, some new, exciting new uh, German and other European varieties. Uh, Haletel Blanc, for instance, is a nice alternative to Nelson Sovans. It's not quite as punchy, it's not quite as juicy, yeah. but it's, it's a fraction of the cost. It's available year-round and it's a great hot, it's fantastic. Um, and that's, you know, there are so many new varieties coming out, we can, can't even keep up with them. You know. It's, uh, many, many to try. So there's always, there are always fallbacks and we don't always focus on hops like we were saying earlier, using other ingredients can give us other arenas to play in. Um, So there are always options for us. Do you you keg a lot of your
2: beers or is it all kind of mainly bottles or what's the
3: kind of... Recently, the last few months it's been heavily keg, lots of keg filling. Um, We've been filling bottles by hand since the beginning. We have a... Or have had a, an eight head siphon filler, which is very labor intensive. We're rinsing the bottles by hand, filling by hand, capping by hand, and labeling not by hand, but we have a you know one in one out label machine. So, every bottle in, in the French here has all been done, uh, I believe, except yeah, all of these bottles would have been. Um, yeah, all was, of these ones, yeah. It's just recently we had a bottling line installed at last, and um that's going to change things greatly. I think we'll still continue filling the same number of kegs, but it means we can expand into bottle sales more. Uh, they're easier to fill now. They'll be filled to a higher standard. There'll be less oxygen in the bottle. Um, it means we, we can also move to something we've been, we haven't been touched on yet, but the hoppy beers, we're conditioning in tank rather than conditioning in the bottle or the keg as um, a choice for the freshness of the beer. Um, Touch on that a little more in a bit. So, so, this is certainly on our, you know, it's on our radar. Um, it's something that if we, if and when we do, we're going to want to do it properly. There are affordable uh, canning lines on the market, which just from what we see aren't the standard that we really want to take. So it needs to be done properly and with intent. Um, you know, mobile canning lines go around. Yeah, we've heard about those. It's, I'm, I'm still I'm still unsure about handing our beer to anyone yeah. before it's packaged and ready to go because it's, you know, it's our beer, we put so much time into crafting it the way we want it to be. If it then goes to someone else who may or may not have the same amount of dedication to it as us, it's unlikely they'll have the same amount of dedication to our beer as we do. Whether they have enough or not is another question. Um, so, yeah that's left to be seen, obviously, you know, if we can find the right person, then maybe. Um, but certainly, again, going back to the trip to Boston I had recently, it was just a very exciting and vibrant scene. Like, yeah, you know, people brewing these beers, packed for the flavour, lots of them look along the lines of these, um, and there's just such a buzz around them, you know, the majority put into cans sold from the tap room uh, of, the, of the breweries so the breweries invest a lot of money in their tap rooms and make them really fantastic facilities and they may sell as much as 95% of their beer from that tap room um, and it's people know that they need to drink the beer fresh so they come to the brewery they pick up slab cans take them home that's for them and for their friends for the week they go back and they get more the next week there's none of us buy a case and I'll drink it over the next three months it's Fast, drink it fresh, drink it when it's good. Just keep it in the fridge so it's one, it's ready to drink whenever you want it, but also it, it lasts for longer. Um, and cans are certainly a part of, of that. The, you know, the, the cans keep the oxygen out better than bottles do, they keep the light out better than bottles do. Um, they're more environmentally friendly, which is a very useful thing, very good thing. So, certainly, it's on, it's on our radar
1: the yeah absolutely um, I mean the number of people who come to drink at the tap room on the weekend is has not really slowed over the past year or so uh, that I've worked there. to still typically expect the region of 500 600 people on a Saturday um, Fridays we probably get more in the region of one to 200. Um, we try to release our new beers uh, on Fridays and have them available at the tap room ahead of when they go on general sale on Monday. So people have the chance to try them and get a hold of them before they're any, anywhere else. Uh, but we, yeah, we certainly do get a lot of people coming to buy beer as fresh as it gets from us. and That's obviously something we'd like to continue and encourage going forward. Um, and as they were saying, the move to conditioning in tank with beers like this one Twenty-one oh four that you just had uh, was actually the first beer that we packaged on the new uh, bottling line that we have. Um, shaving off two weeks from the packaging time to you know the end the end of its what we argue is the end of its you know its best it's best uh, life at four months uh, is a big <laughs> is a big deal. Uh, not just for people who come to the taproom, but for people who buy our beer anywhere around the UK or beyond, uh, we want to be able to get that beer tasting as good as possible, as fresh as possible to people as quickly as we can. Um, and any way that we can improve the way we do that at the tap room or anywhere else is all for the better. Um, we like seeing people like these guys serving our beers and drafting to growlers. Uh, like when they're released, we like seeing people pick up bottles at the tap room and, and wanting to talk about them and enjoy them as quickly as possible. We know that there are going to be some styles of beer that we do are better suited to being held onto. Those Belgian styles do typically have at least a year shelf life on them, and we do encourage people to see what they taste like fresh compared to you know six months or eight months down the line when they will have evolved and changed. Um, but I think having a, a tap room and a, pl- a place where people can purchase beer from where it's made is a is a big part of what is going on in beer in this country right now. If anybody like we were talking earlier as you might imagine like on a regular basis as well about what constitutes people's perception of craft beer for myself it's having a a business that's and has an open front door where people can come in see where things are made meet the people who make them and our business is open and transparent about what they what they had to sell and care a lot about what happens to it not just inside where it's made but outside where it's made as well um so yeah, I think we'll, we're certainly always going to encourage people to come and visit us at the Tap Room, and we don't have to work very hard to do that. People do seem to be pretty interested in coming to visit, uh, which I think is a great thing that's started here in London, and long may it continue. Um, we're now moving into the next beer, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, you're now going to be looking at something that's more akin to a West Coast American IPA. Uh, this is 0519. Style 05 is India Pale ale and recipe 19 is Azaka and Mosaic. Azaka is a hot variety which was new uh, in last year's harvest. And mosaic, I'm sure you'll probably have had before. Um, it's only actually a few years old, I guess. It's still pretty a yeah. new kid on the block. Anyway. Uh, like mosaic, Azaka has pronounced tropical fruit characteristics. Um, people get different get quite different things out of it. Um, I find it as uh, more of the sort of pineapple kind of guava kind of stuff that you might get um, from, again, from hops like Mosaic. Um, but I think, unlike Mosaic, Azaka has more rounded fruit quality, whereas here, we've used Mosaic to perhaps display some of its savory notes uh, to balance that fruitiness. Um, uh, it's, as you will see, a, little, a lot clearer than uh, the pale ale, um, but nonetheless flavorsome. As it's an IPA, it's at 6.3%. You can expect, obviously, more body in that regard, but you're also gonna see a little bit more bitterness as well. Um, that fruitiness kind of develops in the palate into kind of zest and pith and slightly more drier notes. Uh, whereas the pale ale, you probably have found him in a bit more kind of smooth partially from that palette of oats, but also just kind of more rounded juiciness. This is a little bit more fighty. Um, we, we quite like to pick hops that are gonna not just go well together and get along well together, but sometimes we like hops that are gonna kind of fight each other a little bit, uh, fight for your attention. Um, and we find that pairing uh, a hop, which can do a little bit more in the kind of dank, resinous, savory kind of spectrum, Actually, makes your juicier hops taste more juicy uh, by contrast. Um, and I would say this is a pretty good example of that. We did another one, which is probably a better example, which was Citroën Summit. Summit is a bit more of an American classic, which is definitely very earthy, spicy, savoury. Um, kind of
3: like, it's like adding some seasoning to a pasta sauce. Yeah, like it, yeah. It, it gives the counterpoint to the sweetness of the tomato that brings it to a fuller.
1: Yeah, and Summit made citra taste more citra than citra on its own. So sometimes single hop expressions aren't actually the best expression. Sometimes making those hops kind of like fight for your attention and seeing how they interact with other hops is the best way to get flavors out of them. Um, It's not just about trying to throw as many different hop varieties into your beer as you can. Far from it. Um, if anything, we're trying to refine those kind of combinations. And uh, this is an example of picking a couple of hops, which should be just super juicy fruit on their own, but I think actually have more kind of rounded complexity than I think I first gave them credit. Um, plus, I love mosaic. Everybody loves mosaic. Nobody dislikes mosaic. It's not, it's not very divisive, that's what I like about it. I call it the cheating hop, just throw it into everything. <laughs> Just the it's the best. It's a love-or-love love hop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's just great. <laughs> like, I've see brewers talk about Mosaic the way I've seen like, women talk about Ryan Gosling. It's like, a <laughs> like, kind of like meme-worthy dreamboat of hops where it just kind of doesn't really do anything wrong. Even when it does something you don't really expect it to, you're just like, oh, wow, is there anything it can't do? <laughs> it's so great. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Mm. Is it is it less carbonated, or does it just give that illusion? Or it's it quite
3: creamy sort of? It is. The carbonation is a little lower on oh that one, mm. but yeah. uh, it is also yeah it, thicker. It doesn't have more sugar, but it has more substance. Yeah, it's
2: quite mm. like you were saying about it's not what you to it. it does look like that horrible yeah. beer that you leave in the yeah.
3: fridge and yeah. it's yeah. like nah, Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. like sunshine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but. The thing I find interesting that about these two beers, the same as uh, clear and non-clear beers in the states, is yeah. although they're they're the same pH, the beers with the, the haze seem more acidic. They have they have a tartness I find, whereas the clearer beers tend to have more of a piney, resinous characteristic. So the, the, the hazier beers have that more you know, orange juice, grapefruit
2: juice. You your eyes the beer for you? maybe
3: it'd be interesting to do it blind Um, I feel like it feels to me they're so distinct that I would pick them out it'd be be interesting to do a blind tasting on them but it just seems synonymous with those clear IPAs that they are more to the resinous uh, piney end whereas the hazier bitters are more to the fruit juice slightly acidic end despite it being the same yeah yeah, actually the same acidity
1: but again this is uh, like like can talk about any individual beer in the context of any other beers. Like there's so many different decisions that have been made from beginning to end, and interactions with yeast and all the rest of it. It's like it's it's a completely unique snowflake every single time you're doing it. I mean, even even the biggest and most industrialized and robotic kind of brewing process still ultimately creates unique life forms as a result
3: of you know the brewing process. Yeah, I mean, people don't make beer. It's yeast that make beer. People or you know, mechanized breweries make work and then the yeast take it and make it into beer. So you're always at the whim of the yeast and you can control what they do in certain environments, but it may be exactly the same yeast um, culture in the same environment, but whether it's the second or third or fourth generation, they'll be behaving differently. It's it's uh, you know it's evolution on a very, very quick timescale. Like in this series, you know, in the course of weeks you can have Yeast, it behaves very, very differently through the generations. And, um, that's another very exciting side to brewing. It's, yeah, it's scientific, it's, it's artistic as well, but it's a lot of it is just alchemy. It's creating these environments and oh, go, do your thing, and like, letting the yeast get to it, and then just trying to push them in the right direction to get where you want it to be. But there's no guarantee that you'll ever get there. The
2: whole, the whole kind of like, brew by numbers, ethos that you guys have is very kind of like chemical lab testing-esque we've got like batch number two no <coughs> batch, batch number three delightful.
3: yeah I think it's, it's something that started right from the beginning we took strict notes on everything we did yeah. um, the view to be a- being able to look back and being able to learn and figure out what went right what went wrong and um, it's something we've maintained throughout and the people we brought on board someone i brought on board since then have had that same idea and the same you know, attention to detail, um, which has kept us kept us strong the whole time. No, no. Um, I mean, we're still we're still quite small. We have uh, six full time staff. Uh, our seventh is going to join us tomorrow, um, and we're still, in the, the great scheme of things, making a tiny droplet of beer. Um, It'll be interesting. You know, ask me that same question ten, twenty years from now, and the answer might be different, but. I'd like to think that it would be the same. Um, do you make beer that you guys want to drink or do you think people, like are you aiming at
2: a market or are you just like
3: if we like it that's what we make it good? I mean a lot of the time through the exploration we did we were trying to figure out what we like. Uh, we had ideas, we had concepts of what we wanted to drink and then you know we brewed a beer, we either like it or we don't like it. So some of the beers we haven't revisited have been because they weren't as good as we wanted them to be for one reason or another. Um, but we've we've always brewed the beers that we want to drink. It's just we have wide tastes, so <laughs> it's it's been beneficial. We've played with a lot of different ideas, but certainly I'm uh, you know I feel a shift towards narrowing down what we're doing. We're not necessarily so going to do things for the sake of, of of testing because we've already tested so many different things. Um, but we we yeah we wouldn't brew a beer that we weren't a hundred percent behind and wouldn't proudly give to someone, uh, especially not just for the sake of selling it. Like the beer has always been the most important thing to us, and making it as good as possible and taking pride in it. That's number one. So, so might you get a core range eventually, or would that not appeal to you as a... Uh, I don't know. I mean... Like Magic Rock, for example, I know, core Yeah. I mean, we do something. We have a core range of styles. Yeah, in yeah. Which we weigh
1: in. There's certainly styles that we brew more of than any others and certainly styles that people expect to find from us more than any others. We kind of like made our name on styles like Saison, Session IPA, uh, other IPAs and a couple of sour styles to uh, kind of distinguish ourselves What was going on at the time and as that's kind of evolved, found ourselves discovering and falling in love with different styles of beer and kind of going off on little journeys with those. and. It's, it's got to a point where you, I don't know, it's a little bit, a little bit like the earlier question about who we brew beer for, like the, the, the brewers who just brew beer that they like to drink has almost become a kind of craft beer cliche, but it's <laughs> in a way it's actually a very sincere, honest statement because beers are as diverse as human beings, so it makes sense that people at a scene as big as this can exist because people yeah. like different things. You can't
3: just um, brew, brew for your next to you a unique place like yeah. not many
1: companies Yeah, and I think if you if you think about the idea of what a core range is, I would I would prefer to think of it as maybe a, a reputation that you've built for brewing certain kinds of beer in a certain way. Like you say you, men- you mentioned Magic Rock and like if I saw Magic Rock's beers on anywhere, I would definitely try them. Um, and that's based not just on Cannonball or Rapture or Dark Arts or High Wire but because I've tried quite a lot of different beers in that brewery and I know that they've established a reputation with some of that core cool range and I would definitely go and try the beer if I saw one that I hadn't had before. I'd like to think people would think the same things with us and we joke at the brewery that like, we must be some people's favourite brewery because they're like... Oh my god they've got something new every single time and then like from a retailer's point of view they're like jesus christ they've got something new every single time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i think a, a core range is uh having a core range is one way of gaining people's loyalty yeah you, you can go in and sometimes yeah. the, the shops don't have anything you yeah so far, but it's hard to get exactly to get yeah Whereas like for our idea of what a core cool range is, is perhaps having a range of styles that we've um, journeyed through and shown people different versions of and the guys go, I, know, I, def- I had one of their seven zones before and I think I haven't had this one before, but I'll give it a go because the two or three that I had before were pretty good or might think the same thing about a different style. If they don't like something that we've done, conversely, they might think, well, maybe this one's really different. <laughs> I'll give that one a try um, but I think the most important thing is that you establish uh, a bond of trust with the people who are interested in beer, and we would never release a beer that we didn't think was an honest expression of the of our approach um, to beers that we have and we've had long and agonizing conversations about beers that we weren't entirely sure about or think and yeah there's there, there has to be decisions made where you're entering a yeah, a kind of contract with people who care about beer just as much as we do and we want to be honestly fulfilling that contract to fulfill their expectations and be true to the intentions of what we started out to do and whether that's having a cool range from brewery is fine but for us it means perhaps dragging you along on the journey with us and exploring seeing where we're going to go next
3: I like, the, I like things more of an invitation than, than dragging. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another, you're coming with us. have yeah. 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 <laughs> Any
2: group beers that you've just gone like that shit and then checked it away? Or
3: Thankfully, few. Yeah, there have been some. who have had to dump some. But um, I, in the early days, especially, I was I was surprised at how infrequently that happened. It was everything uh, was. Uh, Surprising, like given the fact that we were learning as we went and we were working things out as we went. Um, I mean, we did quite well, we were fortunate, but also careful as careful as we could be at any time.
2: Yeah. To what extent does demand for a particular type of beer drive what you can actually produce? Like, you have brewing schedule, I presume, things that you're doing now. What you talk about? It's very much where we, we go with uh, the hot take as we, yeah, we're, we're just pursuing this quite personal journey which we really think is interesting and we invite people along with us and if it means that there's always changing, would you have, um, you know, pubs or people come and say, I just, just want the 3.15, just keep doing that. If you had that every week, I would get kegs of it and I would serve it in my pub. I just want this from now yeah how would you respond to
3: that I mean, well chris could probably respond to that cause it's probably a question he's asked every week what <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, laughs> I mean, do, 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 do
2: you mean you, 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 you don't have the same one again there, are, in terms of there are and if you wanted yeah. to grow then obviously there's a kind of temptation there as well
1: so mm. yeah yeah i mean there's uh there's certainly um specific recipes that people would like to have again uh, that we would like to have again um, The approach we've taken means that whilst we're somewhat liberated and that new ingredients become available and we can grab them and create a new recipe and not have to worry about it being the same as the one we've done before, there's always going to be people who just, they just really like that first version of the thing that we did and they just love to have it again one more time and uh, (laughs) my, my response is often like, I really like that beer too. And I'd like to it again, like pretty soon as well. But right now we just we've just got we just can't stop being interested in everything that's going on. That's um, for someone
2: who's going to buy a really big volume as well. as just a yeah. who says I I really like it. Really yeah. You know, of course, we, it's one person you'd say, you know, you'd be navigating your way through that
1: quite politely. But like for someone who's going to
2: say, well, I'm going to get this ser- number of kids, you know? Yeah, cool. we certainly
1: deal with uh, larger customers um, we're very grateful to deal with who want certain kind of volumes of particular kind of styles and if they could just get that particular recipe again and that was all we did then they would be perfectly happy as you say you know there are people like that and sometimes that is a conversation which is difficult to have because we just can't do that we can't commit to always having certain things available but
2: and it's based on ingredients being available as well right yeah, absolutely. Well, it's,
3: it's a factor. It's yeah. a factor, but the the main thing is it's is what we what we do is we try new things and we brew different beers and that's what we ask yeah, people to join the in the end with. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Like uh, it would take in fact it wouldn't. You no, know, I mean it wouldn't it wouldn't be the case of one big customer coming along slamming down some cash and saying, "Make one beer, I'll buy it all." Uh, I mean, it goes against what we've always wanted to do and, and, and have done until this point. Um, so the main thing for us is just
2: good making hear. these That's beers. Good hear, right?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You. yeah. I mean, we we actually find now that there are more customers, even at the larger end of the scale, who they've kind of come around to the idea of what's really going on right now, and they're like, you know what, these guys aren't going to keep making the same beer every time. But that's okay, because they have a customer, they, they, have, they have somebody, they have a brewery where they can get the same beer every time. They don't come to us for that, they go to them for that. When they want that ever-changing selection of Saison's or IPA's and Sessions and all the rest of it, it's like, these are the guys that are gonna fill in that part of the portfolio that I want to present. That is, it's like what I was saying earlier, it's like, because the beer scene is as diverse as the people who are in it, it means that all those pallets are out there wanting to try different things. And yeah, a lot of people just want to go into a pub and try the signature kind of like pale ale from a particular brewery. But whilst that's got them interested in what's going on right now, it's not going to keep them interested forever. It might be that they need to try it, start expanding out, trying other styles. And retailers, uh, distributors, and even the biggest customers we have are very, very aware of that. They know what's going on and they know that people are interested not in having the same drink every time they go into the pub, but they're actually actively looking for places where they know they're gonna see things that they haven't seen before, and they're expecting to be surprised. And if you think about it from their perspective, what's the, who should they be buying from? Should they be buying, yeah, okay, we should be buying a certain amount of beer from these guys who make the same thing all the time, but Jesus, we should be buying beer from like a whole range of people because customers don't wanna have the same thing every time anymore. It's the same reason that we're doing this event and that you guys came to it. It's because people are interested not in having the same thing all the time. Mm, I mean, there are a couple of our beers that I would happily have just all the time. <laughs> um, but that's not why we started doing this. It's not why anybody really got into beer. People got into beer because things are different. Things are changing and people care about you know, what it could be next. So it's brutal
2: bar Junction. It's a great example, it's like Pankai is a brilliant beer that most people have to drink all day but whenever I go to that brew or bar I never buy a yeah. I don't yeah. know what that tastes like and what else we've we got going on, yeah. it's an to
3: I think it's like beers along those lines, they're like they're a safe bet. Yeah. You go to a strange bar and you don't know, yeah. you don't trust necessarily the standard of the pub maybe or you don't, you're not feeling adventurous that day, you know you can have a good beer if you get one of those beers having that adventure side and trying all those other things as well it's just this it's, it's a very exciting world it's one that it yeah. has done and still excites us
1: so heads up the beer that you've got now is nine and a half percent probably should yeah, just so say that no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the the final beer that uh, we've got to pour tonight um, and this uh, in a way is kind of neatly wrapping up the two different spheres of kind of influence that we like to have, like the idea of uh, modern versions of traditional Belgian styles and then our own kind of interpretations of modern hoppy beers this is a modern hobby take on a traditional Belgian triple so you're tasting uh, a beer that we call 1403 style 14 is triple and 03 is the third version of that which is hopped with ella uh, a hop from australia which has uh it's said to have uh, quite a sort of um, pineapple, tropical fruit kind of flavor depending on how it's used. Um, we brew our triples roughly once a year. We think of them as a, uh, a special annual release and we like to try and do something a little bit different with them each time. The first one we brewed used mosaic, um, again because like I was saying earlier, it's pretty great art. Uh, <laughs> but also to kind of acknowledge the huge American kind of uh, craft beer influence on our brewery. The second one we brewed uh, used Waiiti from New Zealand because as you have noticed so far, we do use a fair amount of New Zealand hops and we're a big fan of what's going on over there. Uh, This time we use an Australian hop, Ella. Uh, Australian hops have like made huge, huge gains in the past few years. Um, They're producing explosively fruity, really vibrant hop varieties. Uh, like Galaxy uh, and Ella big uh, Secret as well which uh, can just be absolutely delightfully single-mindedly fruity. Um, they don't care that they've got one dimension because their one dimension is just so awesome that you should all just enjoy it. Um, Ella's a really vibrant, oily, slick, juicy kind of hop and uh, we thought it would marry very well to a triple um, but the inspiration for our way of doing triple uh, kind of um, goes back to Tom and Dave's trip to Belgium
3: yeah it was a uh, it was a separate trip actually a second trip we went to uh, Tom and I went to Ghent um, purely for the sake of going to Ghent which we wanted to see and we wanted to taste the beers and uh, uh, one of our favorite breweries out there who brews an incredibly good Belgian strong ale had released one with mosaic in it at that time and uh, I'm not going to lie, we borrowed the idea, we brought that back, and we made that our first triple. Since then, we've gone off on our own journey with it, um, trying a different continent each year. Uh, So, of course, North America started it, New Zealand, and now Australia. And the next one's coming up soon. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something from uh, Europe, especially, with like I was speaking earlier, with the new varieties that are coming up in Europe at the moment. There are hops that are... Incredibly exciting and would fit very well with the Belgian, well, the the French saison yeast that we're using. Um, And it's just, uh, it's just a superb style. It's graceful, it's poised, and it's uh, it's kind of full-bodied enough to really let you sit back and feel its warmth and enjoy being with it. But it's also quite refreshing at the same time. Um, The first one, especially the mosaic triple, I actually called Vicky's downfall. Um, My sister Vicky. (laughs) more than once so many times she drank way more than she should have drunk because she just didn't it didn't feel like it was a strong beer until she got up and we left the pub and it all just went wrong Um, it's just a delight telling that story is the delight how many
2: Easter varieties do you use in
3: the brew? Um, on a regular basis uh, far fewer than we used to we're trying to pare it down for practicality's sake but also yeast can be quite uh, versatile I mean, the, the saison yeast we use that we have used since the very beginning it brews our saisons, our table saisons, our Belgian pale, our triple, um, uh, our most recent wit beer, I say recently it was a while back, but our last wit beer, um, depending on the, the the malts that we use, the spices we use or don't use, the citrus that we use or don't use, the fermentation temperature at the beginning and then through the fermentation, all those things can be varied to vary the end flavour of the beer. So the Belgian pale, for instance, tastes nothing like our Saison's um, because we, use, we don't use any wheat. Uh, wheat and things like oats and rye uh, reacts in a different way with the yeast and it creates different aroma and flavor compounds. Um, we use typically just noble hops. We don't use any spices whatsoever. So you get, a f- and a, we have a cooler fermentation temperature. So the Belgian pails are far cleaner end product than um, the saisons, which have most of those things in them. Um, I'm digressing a little, sorry, but the, uh, we also use, um, we're still finding the, the ale yeast that we want to use regularly. Uh, the last few weeks we've been using uh, a blend of yeasts. Uh, cool. At the moment we're going back to uh, a, a, London, a, a London variety of yeast that we used once before and we're trying it again, just trying to find the, the, the right one basically for our um, ales and, and for hopefully for dark beers as well. Do you use fresh yeast each time or do you have culture? No, we, have, uh, we reuse the culture yes. for a number of generations. We may get as many as 20 beers from one pitch, um, sometimes as few as three or four depending on <coughs> circumstance, sometimes we can take it to far more, uh, but I guess on average it's between eight and ten. Um, yeah, is that very labour intensive to kind of propagate it? It was, uh, we, we don't propagate, we we go directly to the yeast supplier, right. they grow it in, uh, in Copenhagen actually okay. and then ship it over within a couple of days. So. Um, they do a far more professional job than we could do without spending five, maybe six figures. Yeah. Um, but then we, we crop the yeast and we re-pitch the yeast using uh, adapted um, stainless steel kegs. Um, we used to use buckets, but heavy buckets and ladders don't go very well together. We didn't have any accidents, thankfully, but um, it's only a matter of time if you keep doing that. So we have kegs that can be pressurised, we can crop the yeast into the keg, put some pressure on it and squirt it into the next beer, essentially. Um, It's far safer, far more hygienic as well, so the yeast is happier, and keeps going for longer.
2: In terms of the hops, do you get that shipped over or do you
3: get it by air or how do you get it? Uh, We we buy through UK uh, distributors, so they bring it in from around the world and then distribute to us.
2: How many, how many hops are made, um, or how many hops are available in this country? Like you talk about in America and I mean, they're, they're Zealand and stuff like Do you mean how many are grown here? Yeah, so how, how many, if you made a beer from homegrown soil,
3: well, how well, many hops couldn't be available? I couldn't pick a number. I mean, Fuggles and Goldings are the two classics. Um, and then in recent years, there's been a uh, drive towards um, bringing back old varieties. So there's, there's a... a bank somewhere of, of hot seeds essentially that have some, some varieties haven't been grown for 50, 100 years maybe but they still have seeds ready to go and they've been recultivating them and growing them up they fell out of favour you know, in Victorian days because they were too flavoursome or too aromatic um, but nowadays of course that's exactly what people want so they're bringing them back out Jester is a good example of that was a hop that was reintroduced a year ago, yeah, or two ago? Yeah, a few years ago, yeah. Um, but I couldn't, pick, I couldn't pick a number, but it's mm. some, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> some
2: hops.
1: In terms of just, like, territory that you can grow hops on in this country, you probably grow hops pretty much anywhere, but effectively and to the quantity you'd want to, it's a relatively small band of the country. Uh, There's so also the that, fact
3: that I mean, terroir plays a huge part in, in hop growing. Um, and where you can grow good, good grapes you can generally grow good, uh, good hops and so west coast of the United States that's perfect obviously um, Australia is really good for that New Zealand as well mainland Europe the UK is turning that way you know with climate change things are getting warmer so grape varieties hop varieties are getting more flavoursome but typically if you want something exciting and vibrant you go to those places where you get the big exciting vibrant wines
2: is that, is that why like, uh, America is so more advanced in, in, in where they are with the craft beer and all that kind of stuff?
3: But is that I'm sure it plays a part. I'm sure it does. Um, um, I mean, it's back in the 80s that Cascade was
1: brought out, I think. Late 70s. Yeah, 80s. late 70s. The first, the first brewery to like, do what we would probably term like a modern American IPA was New Albion, who were 76, sort of area. You'd be surprised to learn that, uh, that, like, what was going on with camera and stuff here, and what was going on with craft beer in the states started roughly around the same sort of time. It just took very different routes because of very different origins. They had literally nothing holding them back, (laughs) whereas we had kind of everything holding us back, and like so much to fight for first before we could even start thinking about interesting beers. Um, But yeah, I think. The the other interesting thing is that a lot of American hop varieties that we think of like these, you know, uniquely American strains and varieties of hops are ultimately old world hops planted in different soil. And the reverse can be true as well. You can grow UK versions of Cascades from the States and that sort of thing. Like some of the interesting German varieties now are effectively replanted American hops in German laboratories. Um, It's a very complicated kind of world that's kind of more like uh the family trees of like royal families and stuff like that like the parentage of hops you'll hear brewers talking about parentage of hops quite a lot like there's some kind of like horse or something like that and that's it's so so important terroir is obviously a huge deal but people talk about particular (laughs) strains having like an unknown mother (laughs) something like that (laughs) It's, it's, it's quite scandalous, it's very exciting.
2: Um. So do we know the, um, the great-great-grandparents or whatever, of, uh, things it's like Simcoe and Chinook, and are they from the UK, and could that be a possibility? Because obviously there's, well, maybe not obviously, but there, there, is, there are challenges around off production worldwide, and if, and I guess if you bring in the whole environmental thing, not just the canning but also with how far stuff has to travel to make it, you can get... Synco equivalent or something like that or something better uh, and it was from Kent originally and you grew it again at Kent, wouldn't that be an attractive thing uh, do we know do we know what say, Synco
3: comes from? Well, I was, I was thinking that just the other morning actually I was walking to work thinking I'd need to look up the, the hot family tree, just kind of trace things back, uh, figure out where they came from, it must exist somewhere um, I can't pretend to be an expert and list those links at the moment. Yeah. But um,
2: there's four or five noble hops that have come from.
3: Australia. Yeah, yeah, five noble hops. Oh, yeah. But there are also lots of land race hops, lots of wild hops. Oh, okay. Some of it is intentional, some is in, in unintentional. Um, a lot of the new varieties, uh, I think Mosaic, I may be wrong. There's something like a, a, a cross between Simcoe and Summit. Uh, so it's two known hops that were crossbred ta there's mosaic. Uh, other hops, it might be something like Willamette, which is crossbred with a wild variety, and then you get I don't know, a Zaka. I'm pulling that out of the air, that's not true, but it's, um, it, it's, it's, that, it's that blend between using the wild, using the unusual, and using the tamed and, and ready that's creating all these very exciting things. Um, so it's a real, it's a very intricate matrix finding out where things come from. Um, But going to the second half of your question, you could take the most exciting, flavoursome hop variety from its environment, grown in the UK, say, and it will always be, because of the climate, it will always be tamed down a little bit. It'll never be the same hop. It may not necessarily be better or worse, but it would be quite different. Um, So you can never really get around the need to ship hops around to get those flavors.
2: But for a brewer like you, that'd be an exciting thing anyway. Well, there's this new thing, let's explore that a little bit. I think
3: the king's trying it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: When they legalize marijuana in this country, uh, (laughs) and when they do it in my home country as well, (laughs) (laughs) it'd be interesting to see what, I don't know your views are on this, on how what starts to happen in terms of um, brewing and blending, because, mm. from what I understand, they're, they're related. Yeah, they're kind of distant cousins. Yeah, as I understand. and uh, I was just in Oregon, where obviously it is legal, yeah. and um, there's all sorts of interesting research going on, and brought up to university, level, around you know what what you can do with hops and what you can learn from the different species to, mm. to kind of, you know, develop them, yeah. and often there's a medical slant on it as well. But
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, anti inflammatory beers. I hmm. mean <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've got a sore throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the the uh, protein beer
2: that you put Well exactly, yeah.
3: Well, I mean you mentioned that, like uh, Belgian fit beer essentially was kind of a, a, a n- nourishing drink yeah. when it was when it was brewed in the old days. It used to be full of lactobacilli, uh, so you don't need your old in the morning, you've got, you've got your beer. Um, it would, it would uh, only ferment to a very low ABV, maybe 1%, maybe 2%. So it's still full of sugars, carbohydrates, it's hazy, so you have proteins in it, and that would have been like the nourishing drink that people would have, have had before going to work and during work after work and they drank a lot back then but it was but you need to be careful that Coca-Cola was a medicine uh, like once upon a time well no, that's true that's so, true that's true uh, I've, I've noticed that we've drunk um, purely light beers purely mm-hmm. pale beers um, how many darker beers do you guys uh, brew and is that like, something you continuously continuously or it's something that's um, tailed off somewhat during the summer like we Absolutely, have had yeah. we have had dark beers in stock but the few that we had have had Generally moved on, um, but we're coming back into the darker days, you know, winter I should say, darker days. <laughs> <laughs> bleak Im- more bleak imagery than I was uh, going for, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's getting colder, so people look for those more. So certainly our production shifts toward darker, richer beers, less away. You know, we're not, g- you're not going to see so many table saisons through winter. Um, but, Belgian yeah. tributes are often quite dark. Quadruples can be in doubles, Both, right? triples are typically a pale beer. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how that develops. Like, you know, the story of single, double, triple, I think quad is a recent development, is that right? So yeah. single, double, triple were uh, are quite historical beers. Yeah. Usually be you have a volume of water and then you have a volume of malt. You use those <laughs> together, that's a single. You want to make a double, double the malt. A triple, you triple the malt. And by adding more malt, you're adding more sugar, so you're adding alcohol to the finished oh, beer, yeah. which is why typically single, double, triple are going up in strength. At some point, I don't know if Chris has more on this than me, but at some point doubles became a darker beer. A
2: brown beer, and then... Beer.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then single and triple were still pale. Single generally fell out of favour. so uh, you left with double and triple, and then quadruple was introduced at some point, and that was a dark beer as well. Chris?
1: Yeah, there's it's because the great thing about the Berliners is they're just they're just not quite as finickety as us about the exact origins of like beer styles like English and Americans are generally like a beer style is this whereas like when we, when we then go to Berlin we're like wow so this is is this like a typical triple they're like it's our triple I don't know what I don't give a shit <laughs> they don't they don't really care they're not actually interested in the categories in which their beers fit so as a result they haven't been doing a great job of keeping track <laughs> of where most their stuff came from because they don't really care um but you can see broadly the only like real evidence you have is like the advertising of like the time so there is evidence to suggest that there would have been time when people were mostly illiterate the easiest way of distinguishing the strengths of beers would have been the number of x's on a barrel and so you would have ended up with single double triple but I think both triple and quadruple are more modern inventions than single and double. Uh, most triples are ultimately based on the popularity of Vesmala's triple, which was 1950 or something like that. It's a, because even like Belgium is a way more recent country than you actually think it is. It's not actually that old as a as a play as a physical place on the planet. It's obviously been there a while, but as a country, <laughs> well, right, like, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. a country, it's relatively new. Um, And then quadruple again is way more recent. And even like most quadruples only really started coming out in like the 90s. But the great thing is like, because everything in Belgium looks like it's kind of from the 90s, it's kind of hard to tell how old some stuff is and whether it's always looked like that or if it's been like that for a long time. Um, But yeah, I mean, you look at, I guess I would say ours is still pretty closely modeled on like Vesmala of style triple super pale and like uh that kind of like slickness to the body which is half from like uh the body from alcohol and then like grain and stuff but there's is kind of yeast kind of balancing that tight rope all the way down and you know trying to make it not be like easy to drink but just kind of a lot easier to drink than you might expect given the body and the alcohol of it
3: they use the word digestible
1: yeah, it's a nice word. Yeah, yeah. They're they, they just they're just really good at like making beers that are like nine ten percent, and you just kind of drink them at the same speed as anything else. Um, so I, I I basically treat Belgium as like Narnia, some kind of like magical <laughs> realm. Uh, yeah,
3: where that way when you go there? Yeah, you go there your and you're like. Go there for the beer. It's just a magical thing. Yeah. Like everywhere you turn, there's great beer. Uh, it may be brewed by a massive brewery, but it's a fantastic beer, and it just it, beers from Belgium never quite taste the same when you're elsewhere. There's something mm. magical about that, and it's that continental cafe style drinking with incredible beers that it, they're very strong, and that might have a part to play in it. But it's just it's just those flavours and the environment. It's a lovely thing.
1: Yeah, you can like you go you go there and you like start drinking and like some in like early afternoon. With a beer that's like you, the beer that you start the day with is like seven percent, and then you yeah then you go up from that. <laughs> and yet nobody's fighting in the streets, nobody's throwing a kebab at each other. It's like what is going on with this country? Why how are you doing this? Um, whereas like people like here they go out at nine o'clock, they've had like three pints of four percent beer, and they're like basically like ready to fight. And I just like can't I don't know what it is. But yeah, basically, magical realm. Uh, that's the key takeaway from this. Yes. <laughs> magical realm, we like the magical realm. We tried to bring some of the magical realm into our world, and this is what we've tried to make. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, conversely, the Belgians would like never think of using hops in this beer like we have. Um, they don't even really think about barrel aging their stronger beers unless that's what that beer was specifically designed to be uh, in the first place. So you don't really see much in the way of like wood aged or hoppy triples or stronger beers in Belgium, unless it's like an absolutely like wacky experiment that like everybody like threw their hands up and went, what the hell are you doing? Back in the nineties or something like that. Um, So yeah, this is a fairly, whilst it may seem almost Expected to see traditional styles reinvented in this kind of way. We're not trying to say this is a better version of triple. We're just saying like this is a, a version of triple which suits and marries into our kind of ethos about the way uh, we brew. Um, it's
2: yeah, <laughs> it's it's
1: absolute homage to the people who you know designed and pioneered these kind of styles, and we use the we use the hops that we think are going to suit it. We're definitely not trying to like teach triple a lesson with a big dose of hops right in the face where are like, do you think you're gonna like these hops? Because we really want you guys to get along kind of acting as a, well, that's kind of what brewing is anyway, it's just a lot introducing ingredients, acting as a kind of weird kind of dating agency for yeast. Um, <laughs> hoping that it's gonna work out and that the yeast is gonna swipe left or whatever. Um, <laughs> or not, sometimes then that's when the real fun happens. <laughs> um, this is, this. We've hopefully given you a good idea of the kind of, not just the kind of styles that we like to produce the most of, but also um, the kind of flavors and textures and intentions of the beers that we create. Um, I hope you've really enjoyed them. Uh, I've certainly really enjoyed talking to you about them. Uh, And thanks again to Webro Beer for putting this event together. Um, It's great to be here and great to talk to you all. Um, We've got more of our beers Downstairs, uh, which weren't part of the tasting lineup tonight, which you'll find in the fridge, uh, and also two of the beers that you had tonight, seventeen oh six, table saison, and twenty one oh four, are on tap as well. And I will probably be going back down to investigate those purely for QA purposes.
3: Um, (laughs) Need to see how they've evolved in the 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 couple of hours we've been up here. Yeah, it's
1: really important. (laughs) It's really important to know to be thoroughly sure. Um, yeah thank you very much
0: thank you all very much so there you have it thanks very much to chris and dave from brew by numbers It really was a great evening i hope you enjoyed the recording and we always keep a good stock of their beers in both our ballam and clapham junction stores so if you haven't had a chance to try them make sure to give them a go got a really cool numbering system for all their beers and they've got a, a good range of styles That basically sums it up for this episode and also for 2016. As mentioned, thanks very much for joining us. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the other episodes, we have eight other episodes featuring interviews with uh, brewers. We've got other Meet the Brewers with the likes of Beavertown and Wimbledon Brewery, uh, Colonel Brewery, Alphabet. Lots of interesting stuff on the podcast. If you head to iTunes or ACAST, wherever you download your podcasts, and you can find the full um, episode list there. We will be back in the new year with our final episode, which will be coming out around about the 12th of January. Um, we'll also be looking forward to uh, what we're excited about in 2017, and we'll be featuring a recording of our recent Meet the Brewer with the Swedish brewery Beer Blio Tech. So please do join us for then. In the meantime, may we all wish you a Merry Christmas from everyone at We Brought Beer, and we'll see you in 2017.